Well, it's the curious case from Canberra that set alight a conversation on a much, much larger level. Sally Rugg, the now former Chief of Staff to Independent MP Monique Ryan, launched legal action against her former employer and the Commonwealth over a refusal to work reasonable hours. I know what you're thinking. What are reasonable hours? Well, that case is now headed for trial after attempts at mediation failed today. But it has brought into sharper focus the demands on professions where 60, 70, even 80-hour working weeks are a necessity. Professions like politics, well, uh, healthcare, nursing, our teachers, agriculture, that's another one that's a seven-day-a-week job. So do we, as a society, place unreasonable expectations on these jobs? And how do we draw the line I'd love to hear from you on this. How have you drawn the line if a boss has been asking you to do a little bit more uh, than is reasonable? Uh, What other ways you sort of let them know what's okay and what's not okay? And what is the most egregious example of going above and beyond for an employer that pretty much just expected you to do that? I'd love to hear from you. The text line's open now. 0418-226-576 is the text line. You can also tweet me at rndrive or message me via the ABC Listen app. Dr Libby Sander is the MBA Director at the Bond University Business School. Welcome to RN Drive. Good afternoon, Andy. Which professions or sectors demand the most from their their workers in this way? As you sort of said, it tends to be the ones like politics, like professional services. So certainly we see in areas like law, accounting, banking, um, in tech, some tech jobs, and even, you know, things like marketing, public relations, there is this sort of implied assumption that you're going to need to work really long hours. The way that I think about it, and certainly journalism is an example of this, where the industry pays you in your own ambition to get ahead, particularly for young people. There's this concept of, well, you've got to do more to get ahead. And, you know, that's not as glamorous as it sounds because we have mortgages, we have cost of living, we're talking about this all the time right now. And and I wonder if there is a difference between perception and reality when entering these professions. I mean, for instance, a political advisor's life might have sounded pretty glamorous, like being in, I don't know, West Wing or something. But in reality, it's very, very different. Yeah, look, it's a little bit of both sides. We certainly have this perception um, that we are going to need to work hard to get ahead and young people will certainly feel that as well. It's sort of part of our innate psychological need, you know, and this idea, particularly as Australians, we're known as hard workers. But certainly in these types of professions, in these jobs, it certainly is expected. So there are economic incentives. um, There are authority figures that are expecting us to sort of be there, you know, the concept of FaceTime. And there's also this implied Um, reality in many cases, if you don't work these long hours, you're not going to progress in your career and you're not going to get promoted. I think it was an adage that came out of the 1990s in sort of the stockbroking investment banking world where the the idea was you did the actual job, meaning your actual work, uh, at night or on the weekend, whereas your time in the office was meant for schmoozing the boss and getting ahead. I mean, that's an extreme example, but you you, you can imagine that some of these workplaces that that do incentivise progression uh, that are a bit glamorous might kind of exploit that. 
Absolutely. And look, the, this concept of FaceTime has been around forever. You know, it's one of the things that we saw shift during COVID and people working from home and this idea that, you know, the boss needs to see me. So we saw people who were working from home tending to do longer hours just because they wanted to show that they were actually working. But at an extreme, we see this in a country like Japan where that idea of you literally cannot leave the office before the boss, they do extreme hours. And they have um, a concept called Kuroshi where they literally drop dead from overwork. And so, you know, that's, I guess, an extreme example, but it's certainly something that still exists in a lot of workplaces. So it is cultural. I mean, you know, you talked about Japan there and you also mentioned how Australia has this sort of work hard mentality, but that culture has to clash with the law eventually, doesn't it? Absolutely. So Australians have been long known for working long hours. We've been in the bottom third of OECD countries um, in terms of our long hours. But yes, look, the Fair Work Australia Act in 2009 um, says that 38 hours is an ordinary work week. And this was tested recently in the federal court where an employee was contracted to work 50 hours a week plus additional reasonable hours and obviously paid you know, a more significant salary for that. And the federal court deemed that that was unreasonable. If you just joined joined me, I'm asking you, uh, do you go above and beyond in your job and why? I'd love to hear from you. The text line's open now, 0418 You can tweet me at RN Drive as well. I'm unpacking why we do this and what is reasonable in light of the Ryan Rugg case that we've learned today will be going to trial. Uh, Dr Libby Sander is the MBA director at Bond University's Business School. Libby, can you see any trends when it comes to people working these hours? I mean, you mentioned the pandemic and people wanting to put in more hours to make sure that they still registered on the boss's radar. But, uh, I mean, I am curious about younger workers more broadly are they likely to be most exploited when it comes to this kind of culture? Look, they are certainly, and firms in some of these industries have thought, well, you know, we're just going to sort of churn and burn through employees, which is, you know, certainly not acceptable. But what we saw really rise up during the pandemic was people saying, hang on a minute, I don't know when the next pandemic's going to be, you know, what's going to happen in my life? Do I want to be spending these number of hours at work? And so there has certainly been, um, you know, much more discussion around, look, I'm just not prepared to do that anymore. Uh, we're seeing, you know, a pandemic, um, you know, on the other side, you know, of mental health issues in the workplace, you know, a huge number of concerns about burnout and stress. And so, and we've seen another trend, um, which is sort of the anti-work movement, which now has over 2 million um, users on a Reddit group where people are saying, I'm not prepared to accept this dehuman kind of endless treadmill of work anymore. And I'm going to do sort of gig work or project work. So I think the expectations are still there in many industries, but people are really starting to question it now. I do want to bring it back to the rug case, which of course will go to trial. So we can't uh, you know, impinge upon that. But on the text line, there is a strong rhetoric around dismissing Rugg's claims. Things like, you know, Sally Rugg is in dreamland. You can't expect to take the most senior job in a politician's office and work a 40-hour week. This one too, I don't think Sally Rugg was at risk of dying from overwork. Is her decision to quite publicly state that she was unhappy to meet the demands of working what she calls unreasonable hours. Is that symbolic of a broader change taking place? Are people's expectations changing even within these professions? 
Absolutely. And we saw with this um, recent court case that, the you know, the courts are supporting that as well, saying, well, look, you know, it might be reasonable to say, look, it's audit season, so we're going to need particular hours for a project or during this particular time. But to be expecting people to work 60, 70 hours a week on a continuous basis, regardless of their pay, is not reasonable. And um, a very large study showed that if you regularly work 10 plus hour days for only 50 days of the year, your risk of stroke is increased by 29%. So there are significant costs and risks for the employer um, as well as the employee. And unfortunately, people do have a perception, oh, look, if you're getting paid a lot, well, you, you know, you need to sort of suck it up. But, um, you know, the risks to those employees and to the employer is is no different from, from other people. And so whilst everyone is prepared to do extra hours and, and Australians, you know, continue to show that in the research that we do work long hours, there is a line um, where it starts to impact our mental and physical health and the rest of our life. Interestingly, Libby, industrial disputes as a whole have significantly dropped in the last 20 years. I mean, you could crystal ball about the variety of reasons that that could be. But I suppose the question is, has the pendulum swung too far in favour of, of employers? Look, I think that's one of the factors that we've sort of seen if we look at sort of trends and labour force trends, um, you know, in, in recent decades. And, and one of the things that we saw with the pandemic with, you know, there are declining rates of participation in the labour force. Um, we've got an ageing population that we've had, you know, obviously continuing to trend for some time. Um, but then you've got this new trend um, of people saying, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not prepared to do what my boss did or my, my parents did. Um, so that is, you know, and there was this big talk about the shift of power um, with things like the Great Resignation and, and all of these things during the pandemic. And so modelling from, you know, top economists in places like Stanford have said, that an economic downturn is not going to shift the power all the way back to the employer, that these labour trend factors are different this time and that employers are, you know, struggling to get talent, struggling to keep talent, and ultimately that's going to be a competitive issue for them um, if they're not treating their employees well because people just won't want to work there. Yeah, it is a live debate that's happening right now. It'll be interesting to see if there are any other industrial disputes uh, that come out of the publicity from this case. Uh, Dr Libby Sander is an assistant professor of organisational behaviour at Bond University's Business School. Good afternoon to you. Thank you. On the text line, thank you for your contribution. 0418226576. Teaching says this text message. Definitely, uh, which other profession is, uh, is asked to be available and working up to potentially 24 hours a day for five or more days straight? That's in the case of school camps relying on teachers volunteering those unpaid hours and their face-to-face -face teaching hours don't leave them enough time for corrections. Lots of you are chiming in with complaints about academia. Uh, I was an academic for more than two decades and in order to keep up with the institutional expectations, the workload became so impossible that I ended up with such severe burnout that I had to resign after five months of sick leave, says this text. Also, not to uh, forget uh, rural or agricultural workers, uh, Judy in Castlemaine says... Exactly that. Don't forget the rural sector, Andy. I was told to, that I'd have to work over Easter while working for a Western District grazier. Extra days with no extra dollars. He couldn't believe it when I informed him it was against the law. Well, good on you for sticking up for your rights. There's obviously a, a right way to bring up that kind of conversation. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.